0: Welcome to episode two of Devs on the Graph. In this episode, we get to know Alexander Gusev of Spyglass Labs. We get to know a little bit about his background of how he got into the Ethereum ecosystem, Build Guild, also how he started building with the Graph, and now how he's building with Substreams and Spyglass Labs. At the end of this episode, he's going to take all of us through a workshop where we can understand substreams and start to build with substreams. So if you're a builder and wanting to know more about substreams, stick to the end of this video. If you're listening to the audio version of this episode, be sure to switch over to the video version of this episode at the end, and you could check out that link in the description so you could watch his workshop. And as a final little bit of housekeeping, just know that Spyglass Labs has recently went through a name change from soulbound labs to spyglass labs so in this episode we're discussing soulbound labs just know that it's actually currently spyglass labs so without further ado i give you alexander Goosev.
1: good afternoon
0: <laughs> alexander Goosev, also known as blind nabler or goose goose he's got all of the different names and Whatever you want. Whatever that. we want. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, this is Marcus, and here we are at Devs on the Graph, episode two. Ooh. And well, like I just said, we are with Blind Nabler, Alexander Gusev. And he is with Soulbound Labs and has been so for a few years now, just building, building, building. I want to get to know more of that story. But before we get into that, I want to understand you and what brought you into becoming a developer today. So let's start back at the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in computers and building software?
1: Yeah, so I think that when I think back to like when I first started getting into software development it was not actually with software development um my first taste of like engineering and building stuff was definitely when i was like a little kid so i i'm trying to think i was like probably about nine when i was playing this game on the playstation 3 called the little big planet like little big planet yeah, 2 yeah, yeah. are you familiar with it a little yeah. sack dude jumping yeah. around and stuff yeah um so that game had a like the thing that was super cool about that game was not actually the game itself. It was, like, the game had a really cool level editor, mm-hmm. and so basically, it was effectively, like, a whole game engine inside of a game that you could use to, like, create and publish and share games that, like, other people could play, and you could download people's maps and, like, customize it yourself. Um, and it was that that, like, totally hooked me on this feeling of, like, creation, and, like, I mean, I was, like, 10 years old and homeschooled, and I had a little notebook that I carried around to, like, sketch up ideas and never, like, my brain would just pop up with new ideas. and like, oh, I can't wait to like, go home and go build that. But then that kind of, like, lied dormant for, like, eight years. Um, you know, I didn't really gravitate much towards, towards like, computer science, really. Like, I inevitably had some experience because I've been, like, into Linux for a really long time. So I was, like, writing Bash scripts and, you know, playing around with my computers in, like, interesting ways. But I, I didn't really, like, consider that programming. Um, but it wasn't until... Uh, like, 2020, um, towards, like, the very start. It was actually a little bit before, I think, uh, quarantine hit. But I started getting really into Ethereum and this whole concept of smart contracts. And I was like, whoa, this is super powerful. Um,
0: Let let me dive into that. Yeah. What was your first impression
1: of Ethereum?
0: Day one impression when you can look back and say, wow, that was an important day. What kind of day was that for you?
1: I, I mean, honestly, I think my first day hearing about Ethereum, I, like, did not, like understand it. It wasn't until I just started spending more time in the ecosystem and like seeing stuff that people were doing. Cause like, I don't know at first, like a global computer is like a kind of cool idea, but it's not, it's not like immediately interesting. At least it wasn't for me. Like when I first got into it, but then I was like, okay, you know, this is like super powerful. And I guess also that's like within the context of general, like cryptocurrency. Cause like i I've, I've been in, you know, really interested in, in cryptocurrencies since 2013 when Silk Road got shut down. it was, like, my first exposure with it. I was like, okay, that's really cool. We have, like, magic internet money we can send each other. But um, it took me it took me a little bit to, like, fully like click with Ethereum. So I don't really have, like, a day where yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I get it. <laughs> but it was more like a slow, like, frog in a beaker type deal. Where I was like, okay, like, there's, like, a lot of really cool ideas here that could be super, super powerful. Like, you know, DeFi is, like, a really obvious one that I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, there's, like, hyper-efficient stuff with no middlemen that mm. are just working off like code, that's really killer. Yeah. tell also, me about- Am I allowed to swear on this thing? Y- you can do not- whatever you yeah. want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we yeah. are... Um,
0: just for the audience, we did get a chance to work together back with Soulbound Labs. We are all yep. doing dev relations back then. And the first I heard of you working with the team was through Scaffold ETH. And that was really how you got started and that is how I got introduced to you. So what was that like going from scaffold ETH and using scaffold ETH and then also using tooling with the graph and subgraphs?
1: Yeah, I like learned how to do Ethereum development on accident. Like I didn't actually like go into it being like, oh yeah, I'm going to go like learn Ethereum development today. I was like, it was like oh, I had some ideas and I had to like piece together the ways like how to do that. Um, but like yeah. Getting into Scaffold ETH and the Build Guild was definitely like a huge uh, like parabolic moment. I don't know. I just like my learning like accelerated really rapidly because before I was kind of like fumbling around, didn't really understand how like anything worked. I was like, uh, like all these tools are like kind of cool, but they don't like click at all. Um but yeah, like with Scaffold ETH, a super forkable framework for like building Ethereum smart contracts was like a perfect uh, playground for me to experiment with and like Learn, learn through experimentation as opposed to, like, learn through, like, reading, which, like, I, I don't do particularly well. Like, I like to, I much prefer to, like, get my hands dirty and uh, this sort of thing and, and when it comes to this sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, basically, like, yeah, it was through Scaffold 8 that I was able to, like, learn smart contract development and, like, front-end stuff and, you know, put all these together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started working with the graph a couple months later because I got hired to do a little bit of contract work, which I got Exposed to subgraphs with, and I was like, "Oh, this is actually really cool." You have like these GraphQL front end, you know, or GraphQL APIs. I was like, I don't really know what GraphQL is, but like, I kind of understand. Like, I can make these queries, which can like fetch different sorts of data, um, and then you know, through experimentation, I like learned how powerful they were. I guess. Very cool. Yeah.
0: What has kept you going? Right now, you are hopping from. Uh, you know, fundamental Ethereum concepts, and now you're looking at different ways of using APIs that are subgraphs, and now you're building with soulbound labs. And I do want to talk more about substreams, which is something that you've been building with lately. Yeah. What's a thread about yourself that you find is, Wow. Alexander Gusev. I'm gonna keep on going every single day. Is there something that is like a North Star that you would like to see in the world or in the Ethereum community, or is it for yourself? I'm just curious what motivates you.
1: Yeah, I I mean like so I'm I'm very involved with the Build Guild, which is like very closely tied with Scaffold ETH. It's a group of developers who all use Scaffold ETH. Um and so you know I'm I'm very motivated and like propelled by my my peers there because it's like nice mentoring new developers, it's nice seeing what other people are doing and and this sort of thing. Um, But, like, I think mainly it's just, like, I'm just having fun. Like, I'm I'm just building things. Like, I don't put too much pressure on myself uh, to do anything, like, super crazy. Like, I just kind of am like, okay, you know, this is a pretty cool idea. I'm going to go play around with this. I'm going to go work on this. Um, I, I tend not to put too much pressure on myself in terms of, like, I have to go change the world today, because like, you know, that's, that's like tough. That's a and lot. That's, that's you also, can do one yeah. thing at a
0: time. Yeah, one exactly.
1: Time. So I like, feel if, if like I can perform optimally like if I'm playing, so to mm. speak. like I'm a big proponent of like learning through play mm. and then experimentation, that sort of thing. So um, yeah, whatever kind of helps me okay. play. Yeah.
0: Before we get into substreams, I want to ask if you could share with any new developers in the Ethereum environment what from your learning would you like to share with them about your journey and maybe something that might accelerate them in terms of developing with the graph, developing with scaffold ETH?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that development, hmm, it's like a loaded question. Like, what can I, what kind of advice? Maybe,
0: maybe, maybe what would you tell yourself? That would be a
1: better question. Yeah, I, th- I think that I would say, like, again, yeah, don't, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Like, learning is a very, incremental process. You don't wake up one day and you're like, oh, I get it. I know how to develop smart contracts. It's like, no, you like have a problem you need to solve. like you learn about what it takes to solve that problem. Um, And yeah, like just figure out what you want to do and then find a way to make that happen and then learn from there. You know, it's like very easy to get caught up like learning and like gathering information because it feels very productive. But ultimately, I think it's a lot better to have a goal and like work backwards from that, seeing like what you need to do um and you know in that same vein is it's really useful to have um you know i guess like references so i i'm a I really like this dude Paul Graham, are you familiar with paul graham so he he's like a founder of the Y Combinator startup accelerator, and like he also had a, a startup I think he actually had a number back in the day but he has really good essays on his website everyone should go check it out if you haven't checked it out already um but he specifically has a pretty interesting story because he actually went to art school after getting his uh, undergrad in computer science so he like you know went off and did his own thing at art school and he has this really good um essay called hackers and painters in which he describes hackers and painters as seemingly two very different things but actually they have a lot of Um, Things they could learn from each other in a lot of ways in which they overlap, and um, I think one of the really killer pieces he said there was like artists don't learn to do art by just doing art. Like some of them do, but very, very few do. Mm. A lot of them do art by mimicking greats and like copying because you learn about the intricacies of the development process and the intricacies Mm. of like painting. I think a lot of that ties over very well to um, you know learning learning development because like it's really easy to kind of, like, reverse engineer something. It's like, okay, I want to go, you know, build a clone of Uniswap. Like, okay, I can work backwards from there super well, and I learn about DeFi, and, you know, I learn about all these different things. And then, you know, you go build your your clone. So I guess, you know, it's very useful to work from references and work from other people's stuff. So, like, it's, yeah, find good examples of really cool things that you would want to do and then try and clone them and Modify them in slightly different ways.
0: I love that and play. And I love play. and play. play. I love that yeah. attitude and don't put too much pressure on yourself. And that's for myself and everyone else out there. Not too much pressure on yeah. yourself. Let's go into substreams. Yep. You started. Correct me if I'm wrong. You started learning Rust. Yep. Just because of substreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that journey and tell me now that. Substreams are now, the docs are now live on the graph.com, and then also you can go to Substream's uh, StreamingFast website, and they have the docs there as well. Go ahead and dive in if you'd like, but I want to hear about your journey, where you started years ago, maybe one year ago, a year and
1: a half ago yeah, with us. Yeah, it was about a year ago. Yeah, about so a year it was ago? Shortly after Graph Day. Gotcha. Shortly yeah, after yeah, Graph yeah. Day. We got demoed at Graph Day, and I was like, oh, wow, this is like, that's cool. That's very cool. cool. I can't cool. wait for that to be a thing.
0: Cool. So. Where are you at with your substreams development journey? Mm-hmm. And what would you like to tell the audience in a few words, what could
1: substreams provide for them? Oh boy. Substreams can provide a lot. They're, they are really, really cool. And, you know, I guess there's like two ways in which I could talk about substreams. So I can talk about it in the context of like an existing subgraph developer and like how substreams solves so many of the pain points of right. subgraph development. And
0: substreams as is are substream powering the subgraphs. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. they yeah. pipe into so, subgraphs. Yeah,
1: I guess actually a really important first thing is like, let's define what the hell even a subgraph is. Perfect. Um, so, or sorry, a substream. So many sub words. <laughs> um, so, yeah, substreams are just a data transformation layer for, or I guess they're a transformation layer for blockchain data. Again, what does that mean? That's like not a very good... That's like some mumbo-jumbo, <laughs> right? So basically, it is a way to take an input of some block data and modify it to either extract certain types of information that we care about or aggregate certain values and, and basically a way of finding a needle in a haystack, so to speak. I like this analogy where um, we can kind of think about... We have some data that we want to find, but it's hidden in a bunch of other data you know, within block Block data and whatnot. I said data a lot there, but um, you know this is also very similar to kind of what subgraphs are doing. But substreams are not really concerned with how to store them and how to serve this data. So they are simply concerned with we have data over here and we need to manipulate it in some way. Because you have to do something with it at the end, so they're just worried about transforming data. So you can use substreams to spit data out into a Postgres database to use in a GraphQL endpoint, and so this is what the graph does with substream or substream-powered subgraphs, which are super super cool. Um, but yeah, substreams at their core, they extract, you know, they just transform this data and manipulate it in some way to be consumed by some endpoint. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong,
0: mm-hmm. but the substream availability of the data is coming from Firehose and you're getting that. Yep. And then from there, that's being piped into the subgraph and you're being able to get that data much faster in terms of the speed yeah. of indexing. Mm-hmm. And then also you're getting much more granular data. How has that changed your development with Soulbound
1: Labs? Well, yeah, it's changed it a lot. So I guess you, you mentioned something that's also pretty important to talk about with a piece of how substreams work, um, and that is Firehose. So substreams are built with a streaming first, or I guess they are built to be sh- have data streamed through them. So traditionally, how things worked with subgraphs was we had an instance of Geth, which is the Ethereum node, or Ethereum node client, sorry, Ethereum client written in Go. Um, and you know, within geth you have RPC calls. So these are kind of like you know API calls you can make that will get certain information. So an example of this is like ETH get balance, which can take a parameter of an address and will return the balance of an address. Um, and so this is very simple. You make a request, you get back your data. But the problem with this is RPC calls are slow and they can't be like parallelized very well. Um, Firehose
0: is oh, much faster, honestly. Actually, I guess not. Well, from what I understand, not to interject, but from what I understand, Firehose allows for a flat file representation yep. of the entirety of the blockchain, where the blockchain itself is not having to actually be interacted with. You're actually just interacting with Firehose, yep. and that allows for the parallel rapid
1: indexing to be piped in through substreams. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I appreciate that explanation. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of... Consider it this magic black box that allows right. me to get data very fast. But yeah, no, that's, that's yeah, I, th- I think that, that does sound super correct. But yeah, basically, um, the, the way that Substreams works are they have restrictions, but these restrictions actually are not restrictions. They're not restrictions like in a bad way. They, they kind of force you to write better and more easy to understand code, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, so, Substreams has a concept of modules. And so the whole architecture of how your data flows has to be deterministic. Mm. So what does that mean? Um, if you're familiar with like math or anything, there's a concept of like pure functions, which just gives some output based on some input and determinism is if something has the same inputs, it'll always produce the same output, right? Mm. So if I have a function, you know, f of x is equal to 2x, it'll always return Four. If I give an input of two, because it's multiplying two times two, right? It's not. There's no like sense of side effects there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with substreams, all of your modules, which you know start off initially ingesting the, some raw block data, um, have to filter it and do something to it. But the nice part here is that we're not concerned with like ordering of blocks or how this works. We kind of just shove the data through this pure function, and it gets manipulated in such a way. And so you know, as a result, we can't do. The same. We don't have like the same level of freedom as far as like oh I'm gonna go grab this entity at this ID you know like we do in subgraphs. But as a result, our data or our our code is much easier to read and much easier to reason about because if something breaks, we kind of more or less know where it broke. I mm-hmm. mean, um, we can also you know visually see like because actually substreams has really nice uh, graphing utility that we can actually see how substreams are, or like how modules are used to feed other modules in this chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah,
0: with Soulbound Labs, Mm -hmm. I know you guys have been working with subgraphs for a while, and now with substreams, how is that providing you guys the data in a different way, and how is that making your dApp
1: different? Yeah, so because substreams are able to be so fast because it's all deterministic and it can be parallelized super well, um, it enables us to get a lot more creative and a lot more powerful with, like, what kind of data that we can index. So traditionally, subgraphs are, have been pretty slow, um, but with substreams, it's a lot faster. And so, you know, we can now do things that we were just technologically limited to before, uh, which means we can do a lot more complex calculations within subgraphs to give people, like, replication score, um, or even just more complex stuff in general. And so, like, you know, this example isn't really specific to any of my stuff at soulbound this is like my own personal playtime working with substreams um but i built a substream to index every single contract that was ever deployed to ethereum mainnet yeah which is like you know that's like a ludicrous thing to possibly do um but alas you know another good example is like i built a erc 721 balance thing it's like kind of um I guess it's like an ERC-721 tracker, but it tracks every ERC-721 ever deployed Mm -hmm. on mainnet um, and gets like everyone's balances Mm -hmm. and stuff. So you like, you know, can use that to fuel your NFT marketplace or whatever else. And these things are just not possible with like normal subgraphs.
0: Right. And then that granular data coming in faster, it allows, I mean, from what I understand, which you guys are, tooling with, and you have a presentation, by the way, if anyone's listening, there's a presentation coming up on June 15th at the House of Web 3 that you'll be presenting at surrounding yeah. substreams and what he's been building with subgraph-powered substreams. The GUI that you have at Soulbound Labs, what's that GUI doing, and how is that presenting sub-graph- substream-powered subgraphs?
1: Yeah, so hmm. yeah, So there's a couple things that I, I I can talk about. Here, So I guess simply to answer your question, um, this GUI is built with the intent of making substreams and specifically substream development much more user-friendly because there's no real reason for it to be, you know, access limited to a small group of people because, like, people have data that they want to access and we should make it accessible and easy to use, right? Mm -hmm. And so we think I I absolutely love that, not to interrupt, but I mean,
0: ease of approachability is so critical. It's the same thing that got you into Scaffold ETH. Yeah, exactly. That can be a launching pad for so many developers out there who, let's say, they want to understand subgraphs, substreams, subgraph, substream-powered (laughs) subgraphs, to be able to visualize it and say, that's real time, that's happening, and being able to actually have that. That's such a powerful thing that I personally think can provide a jump-off point similar to a Scaffold ETH type of moment for you.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think, like, you know, it's not necessarily that these new developers are maybe incapable of writing the code to do this because, you know, it, it really... The Substrate Module code isn't anything too crazy, but there is this, like, panic that sets in when you're a new developer and you're staring at a blank terminal. And you're like, <laughs> oh, my God, what am I supposed to do, right? And it's like, you know, it's a lot nicer to have a little visual playground than, like, you know, have suggestions of, like, what you can do. Like, okay, I can take this block data and oh, I can filter it out or like, oh, I can put in this NFT contract and I can say, okay, I want to see all transfers where the from address is Vitalik.eth or the to address is Vitalik.eth. And you, you can kind of like visually piece these sorts of things together. Um, it's it's really Im- important for, I think, Substream adoption. Hopefully anyway, it'll get more people using this really powerful, really powerful technology. Awesome.
0: That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. So I think I've gotten to know you once again, Alexander. We've talked for a while now, not just now, but for the past years, we've gotten to yeah. know each other. So I really just want to thank you for your time. Yeah, of course. The next steps for you, next steps that you're excited for, what's something that excites you, what you are building, and then for the coming months coming years what's something that you're just like man i'm really really excited about it doesn't have to be anything about substreams, subgraphs, the graph what are you tinkering with that you're just like oh my gosh this is fun right now i know you're drumming right now
1: yeah 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 <laughs> that's awesome I, I do i do play the drums it's yeah. super fun my poor hands are just like <laughs> getting demolished with all of my hobbies like i was in the rock climbing and drumming and also you know furiously programming for many hours a day uh yeah. I, you know i, I would say like, substreams, honestly, are some of the most exciting things for me, I would say, within, within the space right now. is like, a lot of cool, like, ZK stuff that's going on and, like, scaling stuff. But, you know, I think that we're approaching a point which is rather... I, I don't think, anyway, that we've had, which is that these decentralized technology options are becoming better... We're achieving, like, decentralized supremacy, so to speak, where the decentralized technology options are becoming better than the centralized options which is pretty crazy because traditionally it's been a sacrifice it's like okay do i care about my data correctness and do i care about this being good it's like okay i'm going to choose a decentralized option like the graph because i really care that my data is correct um you know but if you don't care so much you can go to another provider or something but with substreams it is so fast and so composable which is something i'm also really excited about it's like because of Substream's modular architecture, you can import people's packages and use their modules. So you have this whole ecosystem where you don't have to write everything from scratch. You can just use people's packages and plug them in and it all just works, you know? Um, But yeah, with Substreams, basically data indexing is going to become so good and so easy to do and so fast that we're going to have a Cambrian explosion of indexing data on on, on chain, which I think is going to be, really really cool because we're just going to be having so much good data available out there to help developers build things better which is like super exciting to me so
0: i love that i love that you are bringing up cambrian explosion and how the actual decentralized layer Mm. of so many different types of technologies that are in this space web3 decentralization including the graph including all of these different blockchains it's now, in your opinion,
1: comparable, if not better, yeah. than certain options, and I really am excited for that. Yeah, and no, I, I think it actually is just going to be better because, um, yeah. like you know, for instance, I think like Alchemy has some nice uh, stuff where you can, you know, they have like an NFT API where you can get all NFTs a certain user owns and whatnot. Um, but now we're going to have these equivalents and more be decentralized and like you know anyone can add on and make their own forks and. It's great. It's like we're we're getting really powerful APIs built on top of raw blockchain data, which is sick. So
0: Love that. I think it's a great place to close it. So that was Alexander Gusev with Devs on the Graph. I've been Marcus, and I thank you for taking the time for joining us. And, and if you. you stick around, uh, Alexander is going to be bringing us through a little workshop that he has prepared. So uh, if you could stick right through this, go ahead and... Uh, continue the learning (laughs) with Alexander. And once again, thank you for your time. Thanks. Check the link down in the description below for the video link to Alexander's workshop. Thanks for listening.